Welcome to the quick shots with, uh, in fact, <laughs> welcome to the double shot. <laughs> I was a step ahead. Welcome to the double shot with your favourite cousins, James, Fitzgerald, and I guess cousin from another mother or something like that, Mitchell Scale. Been a while since you've been. It has on, been. But welcome yeah. back. No, it's a pleasure to be here, James. Thanks for having me. I, um, as I understand it, Alex on leave again. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I think she's got maternity leave coming up. So she's gone on a pre-leave leave trip. Pre-leave leave Great. trip. Yeah. I think that's now five weeks in uh, the first nine months of this year. So uh, actually, you know, not as not as much as Yeah, I was going to say in fairness, relative to previous years, pretty good. We've got a fair bit out of our girl. I reckon she's going to line us up for the plane trip home. So Alex, hello, if you're listening. Yes. Hey, uh, first week of spring. Spring's here already. Mm. I, uh, you're, you're mad into your, your surfing. I'd yes. imagine spring is uh, absolute lick the lips type. Uh, territory for surfers. It is, yeah, one of the best times of the years uh, or year, I should say. Wind is good. Water's starting to get a bit warmer. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, donned my first board short surf oh, at wow. midday over the weekend. So still a little bit chilly and refreshing, but yeah, yeah, getting to the point where I think wetsuits are going back in the cupboard. And it was um, Father's Day over the weekend, and I've got a question for you. We uh, celebrated Father's Day with uh, my cousin and um, uh, an uncle, and, and that was first good. First Father's Day? First one. Yeah, congratulations and happy Father's Day, James. Thank you. Um Anyway, we've gone over for breakfast together mm. and uh, my uncle has served up crumpets and I haven't had crumpets, crumpets in a long, long time. Mm. And he said to me, he was making them and he said, what do you like on your crumpets? And I was thinking, what do you mean? What do I, Like as in do I like butter and Vegemite or just Vegemite? Like what else is there to have on a, on a crumpet? Mate, surely. And he said peanut butter, peanut butter. or jam. And what? I thought, am I am – I, in my own world, thinking that you only have Vegemite on crumpets? What, what, what's your take on that? Well, Vegemite for sure, but, man, I'm going honey over Vegemite and butter uh, on my yes. crumpets. Oh, you're Although going honey over Vegemite? I'm, go, I'm okay. going honey over Vegemite, a little bit of sweet. Yes. Um, but to be honest, I don't have crumpets very often. Um, but peanut butter is not something I'd gravitate towards, uh, although I do love peanut butter. So I've never tried it. Maybe uh, next time I butter up a crumpet, I might try and do so with some peanut butter. I started with a Vegemite one and finished on a honey one. So you're, you're right. The honey one does go well uh, also. But crumpets, haven't had haven't had a crumpet in a long, long nah, time. No, crumpet's not for me. Weird. I don't like them. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, we'll move on. Um, house prices uh, data out um, covering off pretty much the first eight months of the year. Um, surprisingly to some perhaps, um, the Sydney median house price is just absolutely charging. It is 8% up. Mm. since the start of the year, which in dollar terms puts the median house price at a touch over $1.35 million. And if you've owned your home in Sydney since the start of the year, you've made more than $100,000 in eight months. Pretty good going considering where a lot of the forecasts were at the start of the year. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And Sydney, not the only market up to, in fact, every capital city market has grown in the uh, over the last month. So that's great. It certainly mm. indicates that, you know, the market has recovered from the, the trough that everyone was talking about and, and is, is, is banging along quite nicely, actually. Well, I think, you know, a lot of people's perspective was once interest rates drop, we're going to see prices take off. But I think it's it's... I think that's not the case. I think it's not that they're flying or anything at the moment, but I think they're just moving along at a 
at a nice steady pace. Mm. Um, mm. And I, I think if anything, it's just going to pick up once interest rates do come down, which we will talk about a little bit later because the Reserve Bank did their announcement this week. But um, yeah, any other takeaways for you from the, the house price data that came out? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, the, the thing that jumped out to me was we no longer have a capital city market with a median house price under 600000 um, we used to, uh, as recently as a few months ago, we used to, um, but now, you know, markets like Adelaide and like Perth, which once was under 600,000, no longer. So certainly, mm. see, you know, it indicates that, um, you know, everything is growing. Um, and also, you know, Sydney, as you say, has has had a had a great year, and as is the case, Sydney normally leads the charge from a capital city market's point of view. Um, you know, if we look at all the other capital cities relative to Sydney, we see they sit at you know Melbourne sitting at sixty eight percent of Sydney. Um, what would often peak at somewhere around 85 percent is that that sort of what we found in the past. Brisbane sitting at sixty one percent, and at the peak of that cycle can get as high as eighty percent. Adelaide at fifty four percent can get as high as. 75% relative to Sydney and Perth sitting at 47% and can get as high as sort of 70% of Sydney. So, you know, all the other markets, are, you know, typically follow Sydney. So take mm. that as you will, but certainly seems like there's some legs. Still good buying in those affordable markets for mm. sure. And the median house price in Australia today is, uh, what is it? $24 off being $900,000. Wow. So it's got $24 to go. We're now... Seven days into the, Mate, the month reckon, of September, yeah. we're probably already there. Oh, I reckon we might <laughs> be. Yeah, absolutely. So that's uh, that's crazy, and and also interesting to note Adelaide and Perth at record highs. So oh, the median house okay. price in those capital cities. Brisbane's not. Uh, no, no. Okay. As at as at August 2023, Adelaide okay. and Perth at, at record highs according to CoreLogic. And then uh, before we move on, the uh, the rents uh, again. You know, running at a at a, a pretty pretty fast pace, uh, more than inflation, which I think is the significant thing. A lot of people always say, "Well, what if interest rates go up?" I, I get that a lot mm. as a question. Um, you know, whether it's someone thinking about buying their own home, um, but but more commonly, it's with investment um, properties. And and my answer is always, look, if interest rates are going up, it means we've got inflation, and and your rents mm. will be going up. And we're seeing that at the moment, rents up by somewhere between 7 and 13% mm. in all of the main capital cities. Um, for perspective, inflation's running at about 5 So, you know, we're seeing some strong growth there, particularly in uh, in Perth, uh, Perth and Adelaide and, and, and Melbourne, I guess. Melbourne's actually mm. um, starting to take off. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, the certainly Adelaide and Perth don't surprise me because of the vacancy rates in those capital city markets. You know, Adelaide sits at 0.6% today as far as vacancy. They say a balanced market somewhere around 2.5%, so certainly undersupplied. And Perth's actually the lowest across all the capital cities at 0.5%. So no surprises that rents have kind of kicked along and, and grown rapidly in those areas. Melbourne at 1.3%, but yeah, 11.9% leading the charge is, um, you know, it's good to see. All right, fast start to this podcast. We normally build it up, Mitch, but um, you've just got me. Uh, I was so excited to get into those numbers because I think it's um, defying what you're reading today. So I think we uh, needed to start there, but we, we might lighten it up next. L- lighten up. They don't call me an impact player for no reason, James. <laughs> Come in and make an impact early is the, uh, is the objective here. Someone calls you that, do they? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mitch. Question without notice, what was the last movie you saw at the cinemas and, and when was it? 
so I'm not a massive uh, movie goer um, for no reason other than I just don't go. Um, but the last movie I saw was actually with 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 our company, and we went and saw James Bond in Gold Class, the most recent one. Oh yeah. Geez, I tell you what, once you've seen a car chase, you've seen them all and that was three hours of car chases. So <laughs> I won't be rushing back to watch that again and I've uh, probably offended a lot of people out there that are James Bond fans. But no, I think Dora... Our so that's CF- like, that's a while ago. That, yeah, that's, that's a couple a year. of years. Yeah, that's a, yeah. I reckon that's least a couple a year. of years. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I prefer I prefer a little bit of Netflix action on the couch and they eventually come on there at some point, so I'll just hold off and, and watch them when I can. But Dora, our CFO, was raving about a recent movie yeah. she saw last night being Gran Turismo and said it is uh, absolutely one of the best movies she's seen and so maybe I might venture out and, and go and watch that one. She's gone like twice in the last week. I think she yeah. saw The Equaliser on she Sunday too. She did, Denzel so. action. Yeah, no, she's uh, she's big on it. Well, uh, you you and I must be the only people this year who haven't handed over some of our mm. hard fought for mm. uh, a movie because the event cinemas business, probably the biggest. Like event cinemas, they're in every Westfield. They're the, they're the yeah. big movie chain yeah. in Australia. They have had a very good year, haven't they? Haven't they? What profits they, up? Mm. Uh, what are we profits up here uh, by thirty five percent, and their collecting uh, their revenue collections up twenty percent. So that is, there's some significant numbers. Uh, no doubt there's been some pretty good movies this year. I think, you know, Barbie's been hugely popular, Oppenheimer. Um, you're starting to see a few more roll out now like The Equalizer, Gran Turismo, all that sort of thing. So clearly there is more movies coming as well. But anything, any, any year where you get a 20% increase, you're going really well. Absolutely. And I think their share price is, is travelling along quite well compared to, the trough that they 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 hit during COVID. I think that was low as six dollars um, at one point, but they're trading for about twelve dollars today. So I think it's been as high as fifteen um, this time last year, but certainly so, potting so on quite well. So if you bought their shares, yes. at- the low, which must have been sometime in the pandemic. It would have been during the pandemic, low foot traffic in their cinema venues, all that type of stuff. So three three years ago, yeah. you would have doubled your money to 12 bucks. Absolutely. And, That's mate, event going. cinemas, I don't know if you knew this, but they're not only in the entertainment business. They're actually in the hotels business as well. And Did not know. They're the fourth largest hotel owner in Australia and own, you know, Ridges, QT, and also Threadbow Village. Really? So question without notice to you, James, have you ever been to Threadbow, the, the, the ski fields in Once. New South Wales? Once, when yep. I was in my early teens, mm. went to Threadbow. Yeah. Uh, it was really cool. It was really cool. It was probably been upgraded since then because they're all, um, they're quite, they quite tired and old. Mm. Um, this would have been in the early 2000s. Um, yeah. So, uh, look, I have been, but it was a long time ago. And it's mainly because I've always found that it's actually probably the same price to go to places like New Zealand and and there's maybe a little bit to offer. But um, uh, have you been to Threadbow? No, I haven't. I haven't been to the Australian ski fields since I was, I would have been 10 or under. Um, Been a couple of times to New Zealand since then and and Japan. But yeah, I haven't ever been to Threadbow. Perisher was normally where where we ended up. But it certainly seems like a lot of people are going to Threadbow because event cinemas, um, you know, hotel business posted profits of or revenues of 352 million, which exceeded their pre-COVID Level so exceeded pre-COVID, exceeded so they pre-COVID. made more money this year. Yes, off their ski resort than yes. they did before COVID. That is that is amazing. Okay, yes. all right. Yep, yep. So it certainly indicates there's been some uh, pent up demand for people to get out and about. Probably still, um, you know, being expended at the moment across the country. So yeah, there you go. Did Sign not know. Event cinemas also hotel operators. Good.
Good on them. Would have had a rough three years. Oh, yeah. yeah. Hotels and, and cinemas, geez. And ski fields. And, yeah. Mitch, I'm going to throw to you on this one because mm. this is your wheelhouse. Mm. Valuations. We've all, mm. well, maybe not all, but, but a lot of us would have gone through the experience of having to get a valuation done, uh, whether it's on our own home, it might be a valuation on an investment. Yes. And it's, uh, you know, you, you, you take them through and, and it's my favourite scene in The Castle, the movie The Castle, where he gets the <laughs> valuer turn up and he takes him around the house and shows him, you know, how close he is to the airport and how you get this beautiful view of these planes taking off and he's trying to sell it as a positive <laughs> and uh, shows him his massive aerial on the top of the roof and he says, what do you reckon that adds in value? He says, oh, you know, the valuer says, oh, hard, hard to tell really. And uh, Michael Keaton says, uh Oh, yeah, I guess you can't you can overcapitalise, can't you? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> anyway, we've all been through it. The valuer gets there and you do you give him the absolute royal treatment because you're like, I want this guy to give me a really good value on my Don't house. Don't you what? There's, there's muffins and cookies on the bench. You've got all the comparable sales printed out in the area that you've cherry-picked. Yep. It's, uh, yeah, you've given it massive spring clean in the lead Absolutely, yeah. But... That might might not be the case going forward. Yeah, Correct. yeah, it's um, it's interesting because you know obviously in the context of mortgage services, the traditional way is that a bank instructs a valuer, a valuer under their API guidelines, the Australian Property Institute guidelines, have to go out and inspect that property in person. So they have to attend the property, and whether that's a residential property, commercial, vacant land, whatever the case may be, they have to cite it, photograph it, and include it in their reports. Um, however, there's been a recent trend whereby desktop valuations have accelerated um, and a desktop valuation, while still requires human input, is effectively valuing or appraising the asset or security for the loan via a desktop. So you're just looking at it digitally, looking at the sales and probably- on Google. Yeah, Google, CoreLogic, probably relying on some algorithms and no doubt AI you know, in the future. So um, prior to the pandemic, 30%, I think, of valuations done were, were, were done on a desktop. Um, you okay. know, as opposed to the seventy four banks for, for, um, in the context of mortgage right. services. So that's yeah, the banks getting them out there. Okay, um, and then COVID obviously accelerated that trend. So oh, yeah, couldn't seen, go to people's houses. Correct. So we've seen that grow now to fifty percent. So just under, it's about forty nine point something. So one in two valuations today are done behind a desktop rather than the traditional means of going out and, you know, getting my baked cookies and, and seeing my <laughs> comparable sales in the spring clean. Seeing how good your lawn's looking and, uh, yeah, exactly and all that. Right. Yeah, So how, how you'd be spewing if you, you know, because you don't have control where your value valuation goes right. The bank just yeah. randomly selects it. Imagine if you've done the spring clean, you've baked the cookies, you've got the sales and then no one turns up and they're doing it via a desktop. Well, I guess... I'm going to ask you because your your job is to, uh, you know, one of your jobs uh, is to, you know, look after all the valuations that get done mm. inside of the, our mortgage broking business, inside of our property business. Um, so I'd imagine you've come across all sorts, whether it's the desktop, whether it's the in-person, mm-hmm. valuer John Smith and valuer, you know, Jane Blight, you know, mm-hmm. like you've seen it all. Yeah. What? What's your take on it? Is it good? Is it positive, do look, you think? Look, I think it's um, – so th- there are positives from it. 
you know, I think the positive you can take away from it is it's quicker and more efficient to turn okay. around the valuation, right? Faster. Faster. Yep. So obviously you, 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 your finance applications and, and ability to pull money out of properties and, and buy properties often mm-hmm. dependent on how quickly you can get a valuation and progress that application. So I think on that side of things- Because normally it takes about a week, I reckon. Yeah, look, they say, you know, the banks try to maintain it's a 24 to 48-hour turnarounds, but the value's got to get out there, you know, got to if there's tenants in the property, got to arrange access, all of that type of stuff. So mm. I think from a- efficiency and timing point of view, great positive. From a consistency point of view though, I think that there's no way to sort of at least um, analyse the reports, right? And whilst that may be the case as well with human valuers and people coming out to to do valuations, um, I think at least you have a face and a person that you can discuss that with because often, you know, you can have five valuers attend a property utilize the same sales in the area and have five different outcomes as by way of their appraisals. Mm. So it's it's good if you can at least have the conversation if you disagree with the appraisal or if you've seen sales that they may not have. You mm. can't do that in the desktop sense. So I think it's a negative in that regard whereby you know, you, you don't even want to talk to it. It's just an algorithm or, you know, someone behind a computer. Whereas, well, And I guess too on that point, they're, they're comparing, say, they might be comparing a sale of a house that's 10 years old, a house that's 12 years old, a house that's two years old. Sometimes you can go through a house that's 10 years old that's really well maintained that doesn't look all that different to a house that might be two or three years old and not as well maintained. So mm. you are missing a fairly vital um, kind of assumption, I guess, in yeah. terms of what you're determining a house is worth mm. if you're not going to it. Yeah, exactly right. So I think, um, you know, from a... You know, from a quality of appraisal, I think there's, you know, it's probably a bit of a negative, but from a timing perspective, huge positive. And if they can somehow get, you know, um, an ability to to be more consistent through the desktop method, I think it's obviously the way we'll end up going down the track, which is a bit Mm. of a concern for, you know, big valuation firms. I'm hearing massive positive if you don't maintain your house well and you're not good at baking cookies. (laughs) If you maintain your house really well and you have terrific cookies, this is really negative. Yes. Look, I mean, let's be honest, you want the highest valuation for your property and however you can get that is the best way to do it. And I think, you know, you back yourself in to be able to get that through a... Except when Except. the council's ra- the council's valuing your property for rates purposes. Yeah, yes, or you're having me. to buy someone out of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dark. <laughs> Producer JB. I might have to edit that out. Yeah, no. don't, don't edit that out. <laughs> so, James, I want to talk housing crisis. Ooh. Yeah. In the context of housing or building approvals, it's everywhere that you go, you're reading it in the headlines of the papers that there's not enough houses in Australia to accommodate to accommodate the growth of the population effectively. And I think the numbers that have been released from the ABS recently would suggest that we're not building enough homes per annum. Mm. And in summary, they're forecasting that we need to build somewhere around 240,000 homes per year. We're currently 100,000 short. And next year, we're probably going to build somewhere around 150,000. So there's mm. going to be a shortfall again. Now, if we're already in a housing crisis, what mm. does that mean moving forward? And, you know, what, what are those sort of numbers, what stands out about those numbers to you? Well, I mean, I think what stands out, and we're, we're in Queensland, right? So we have a state election next year. Mm. Um, it's one of the first state elections to be coming up. I would imagine, like, it's, it's, it's pretty much in the paper 
every second day, would you say? Like I, I would think it's going to be probably, if not number one, then, it, you know, number one or two in terms of like the biggest um, topics that are going to decide whether or not a government gets in is is whether they can do a good enough job in in getting more housing into into you know the the, the marketplace. Mm. Um, you're right. We're we're hundred thousand short. Um, we need to build two hundred forty thousand. I think that's because we're bringing in um, around. Correct me if I'm wrong. Nearly half a million migrants every mm. every year. Half a million um, is our population growth every single year, and and majority of people who migrate to Australia. Um, they're singles and couples, right? So, like, you pretty much need um, one house for every two migrants. Yes. So that that's the thing that we're doing to um, ease the burden of our aging workforce. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem is that that I think only once in the last ten years we've built more than two hundred thousand houses. Yeah. Wow. So I'm not sure how we're going to build two hundred forty thousand houses a year. Four or five years, and and what do you put it down to as far as the reason we're not hitting that target? Obviously, you mm. know the federal government talks about it all the time, right? They pull this number out; it changes often. They obviously are forecasting that. Why aren't we hitting it, in your view? Um, well, I think it's clear we only build two types of housing, and there is three. So there's a third type of housing that we don't build. So if you go overseas, right, you see a lot of um, what we call medium density or middle housing. Mm. We build a detached house or we build a high rise and that's it. Yeah. So middle housing just doesn't exist. And, you know, I think the solution ultimately will be that we we will we will find a way to build that. Mm. Um, you know, and we're seeing it at the moment. Like you and I uh, were driving around the other day and we were seeing, you know, like a six-metre wide block by 30 square metres, right? Yeah. So that's, what's that, about 100, 180 square metres. Yeah. That's very common in, in Europe and, and America to have 180 square, 180 square metres. It's not s- small per se, it's, it's common. Mm. Whereas in Australia, we don't do it. We do 400 square metre blocks and yeah. they, they could house two of those things. So I think ultimately we've got to allow every block as of right in Australia to go down to, you know, that that smaller uh, block size. Um mm. Because that's how you're going to create a lot of um, supply quickly is by unlocking a third type of housing that, that doesn't exist today. That, that's my view. Yeah, well, it makes sense, right? Because land, you know, is a, there's a finite supply of it. You can't build more land and it's very, very difficult to unlock it. You've obviously got to rezone and then you've got to build services and infrastructure to actually activate yeah. it for. So, dense, so things like things like sewer, sewer you know, electricity, electricity, you know, all of the services. Transport. That re- yeah, transport, corridors. And, you know, we're, we're very um, cluttered around our capital cities, which is great, but you can't just go inland and unlock all this land because the infrastructure isn't there to exist and there's no funding to build it. Plus, takes a long time. So you're right. Density mm. seems to be the solution there, and I'm very thankful you didn't use the term missing middle because it's all I hear about in all property conferences I go to. But you implied that there is a missing middle, which is absolutely the case. Well, it's just like medium density. Yeah. Like we 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 think of like if you if I say to you a hundred square meter block of land, you think of like a you know you know the when we were growing up like those hundred townhouse developments that you think of. Yeah. Whereas in in Europe and America, you still get that outcome, but it's just like if you've got a, you know, a four, say a 12 metre wide block by 30, that's 360 square metres, you just chop it in two. Yeah. It's easy. And, and, you know, if you've got 10 million houses around Australia, like it doesn't take much to put 30 or 40,000 of those into the 
the market each year. Mm. Um, the second thing is I think building, like I don't know if we can build 200,000 houses today because, um, you know, you and I are, are hearing, you're, you're probably more at the coalface, but as mm. I understand it, builders are competing today with infrastructure. Absolutely. So every state government, the federal government of Australia spending more on infrastructure today than they have ever spent. Yes. And, and the reality is if you're an infrastructure job, you're union relegate, you're regulated by the unions and you're earning more. So if, you, if you're a trade working on a, on a, on a, a union and or infrastructure site, you're earning a lot more. Mm-hmm. So the private sector can't compete. So, you know, it, it is um, – Probably the infrastructure as well. I don't know that the government will scale back on infrastructure though. So I think mm. that one's a, a really hard one um, to, to sort of try and try and fix. But that is the other challenge I think in in building the houses that we need is that we've got the tradespeople to build it when we're also building so much infrastructure. Yeah, no, you, you, you're dead right. And, and it's causing a huge disruption in supply chains as well as the labour market. So yeah, great, great points. But I, I reckon if you're sitting on a 400 square metre block today, let's even say it's just your house. Mm. I have no sh- no doubt in my mind that you will be putting at least two, maybe even three houses on that in a decade's time. Like that, that is just, it's so obvious to me that that, that is where we're going that, you know, I just think the the more you can get, the more land you can get. You know, you 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 sort of setting yourself up to get either you know value increase or um, potentially more income streams down the track if you're smart about it. And there's already areas doing it. So you know, we're active in some areas in the Northern Gold Coast corridor where you've got blocks as small as 300 square meters mm. that you're able to dual occupy whereby right. you've got a three-bedroom dwelling with a two-bedroom auxiliary dwelling sitting on the garage, double storey, and you're, you know, renting it out to two unrelated parties. So certainly that that will be where or, we go. Or you own it, or, you live in it, you and you're renting it, yeah. it out to someone else to subsidise your to, own mortgage. Yeah, exactly right. So there's certainly innovation coming with, with, with respect to designs. So, James, um, we discussed... Density is a solution to the housing crisis and the fact that we're not building enough homes. Another point to that as well is that we're not currently utilising our homes the most efficient ways either. And I'll say that in the context of downsizing. And recently there were studies that went out that effectively assessed different suburbs across the country um, by way of their likeliness of the residents of those suburbs downsizing. So things like, you know, um, age, uh, you know, amenity, population growth, all of this type of stuff and determined which suburbs were likely to downsize. But some of the numbers that came out of that were quite interesting to me. Um, And the main one being that 88% of people between the ages of 64, sorry, of 65 and 74, live in a home yep. with just one or two people. Yep. So that age bracket- Which makes sense. Kids makes have moved sense because yep. most likely kids have moved out. Mm-hmm. Um, they're still in their family home, lot, probably unencumbered to be honest, or at least not mm. a lot of debt on it. So interest rates probably not, mm. you know, affecting them. Um, and of those dwellings, the, the, the 88% of people live in between 64 and 75, um, of those dwellings, 76% of those are three or more bedrooms. Wow. So we've got, you know, one or two people living in three or more bedroom homes and, you know, that's a large segment of our population. So I guess are we utilising, you know, our, our housing to the best of its ability? Is there ways that they can maybe get more innovated and rent out rooms, that that type of stuff? So I thought it was mm. quite interesting. Mm. I think that that is right there a massive lever to to your point. How do we incentivize 
those say let's say even 55 plus because it, it's it's that's uh what'd you say nearly nine out of 10 65 to 74 just live with one or two people yeah. and then three and four of those um have three or more bedrooms so obviously they're only using one um and, and they've got the extra two that just aren't being used how do we incentivize those people to trade down and downsize like what, what's the incentive there, there was a couple of years ago i think um the opportunity for someone if they sold their own home yes they could put three hundred thousand dollars into their super fund mm-hmm. um voluntarily because i think the issue is if if you have a you know at the moment in like because beyond at 67 you're eligible for the pension in australia so there'd be a lot of people who have got these $2 million homes probably in Sydney, for example, mm. that are sitting there saying, well, if I sell the home, I land with $2 million, all of a sudden I'm not eligible for the pension. Yeah, exactly So, right. so why would I? Yeah. Um, so they're staying in their home. How can we incentivize those people to sell their homes, free up the housing, trade down and not affect, say, their eligibility for the pension um, or, or, or any of their benefits? I, I know health benefits and, and all that are linked to that as well. That is a huge lever right there. Yeah. You think about, um, I think there's roughly 2 million homes that are occupied by people over and above the age of 55 yes. in, in Australia where they own the home and there's only one or two. That's a lot of houses where there's potentially one or two bedrooms that just aren't being used. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and you know, th- these people aren't necessarily wealthy even if they do live in a, you know, one or $2 million home because they've bought it 30 or 40 years ago. It's unencumbered and, yeah, they, they might not have an income in order to, to you know, jeopardise their ability to get one via the pension. So, yeah, I think incentives definitely a, um, a, a good thing to do. And then just in, in a bit of, for a bit of context, some of the suburbs that um, as part of this investigation that were determined most likely to have people downsizing. So, in Sydney, you had the Blue Mountains and Sutherland Shire were the most likely suburbs where um, residents would be downsizing. In Melbourne, you had Outer East and the inner south were the were the most likely. Um, okay. Yeah. yeah. Brisbane was the east. Brisbane, in fact, um, the east of Brisbane across the whole country was the highest chance of, of people downsizing. So they were 7.2 on the scale as compared to Melbourne and Sydney in those I suburbs. I reckon that's got to do with the fact that you've got the availability of higher density as well. That's, Correct. That's yeah. towards the water, you know, out Winner Manly, um, Redcliffe yep. Way where you've, you've actually got high-rise density living already, whereas I would have thought like the Blue Mountains, for example, there's probably not a lot of high-rise living there for them to move into. Yeah, exactly right. So, no, very good point. And then, yeah, in Perth, southwest and and the inner Perth were the most likely. Adelaide, the south and west were most likely. So downsizing. There you go. We've we've solved the housing crisis. That's not where I thought this podcast was going, (laughs) but um, we've solved the housing crisis. Um, just send that off to the housing minister and uh, should be done in the next couple of months, I'd imagine. Yeah. Perfect. What well up, Mitch? All for free on a, on, on a, on a, on a Wednesday morning. Well, what? Thursday morning. Oh, okay. <laughs> no. All right, guys, thanks for listening. Keep an eye out for quick shots later in the week. We're going to go there uh, with some interest rate questions. We didn't get to that, but we have got some questions on the rates decisions, so keep an eye out for that. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Double Shot with your favourite cousins, Alex and James Fitzgerald. If you've got a burning question or something we absolutely need to talk about on the pod, please write to us. Both of our emails are in the show notes. For little real estate tidbits and a little bit of banter, okay, a lot of banter, you can follow us on the gram. Our handle is the doubleshot.podcast. That, my friends, is the doubleshot.podcast. Until next time, 
Think of us when you sit back and sip your next double shot.